Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.06 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 18th of April, 2022. Happy post-Easter. Today is the first day after Easter, which is Resurrection Day. Maybe we should all keep that in the back of our head. Reimagining, resurrection, life from death, all that type of stuff. Probably a good thing to remember as we start what many, I think what many consider is actually the new year, honestly, because I think Easter is a really, it's not a bad way to actually say, okay, everything before this is already done, and now we begin anew. Not a terrible way to think about it, in, in my personal opinion. This is episode 575 of Bitcoin, and we're going to start with the chumps over there at Wikipedia who have closed comments on whether or not they're going to take quote-unquote cryptocurrency. Let's see what they've said in their statement. This request for comment was open to the community input between January the 10th, 2022 and April the 12th, 2022. A little under 400 users participated in the voting and discussion concerning the proposition that the Wikimedia Foundation stop accepting cryptocurrency donations. Common arguments and support include issues of environmental sustainability that accepting cryptocurrencies constitute implicit endorsement of the issues surrounding cryptocurrencies and community issues with the risk of or risk to the movement's reputation for accepting cryptocurrencies. Common arguments in opposition include the existence of less energy-intensive cryptocurrencies, i.e. proof-of-stake, that cryptocurrencies provide safer ways to donate and engage in finance for people uh, in oppressed countries, and that fiat currencies also have issues with environmental sustainability. Excluding new accounts and unregistered users, the tally is 232 to 94 or 71.17% in support of the proposal. These results indicate overall community support with a significant minority in opposition. Thus, the Wikimedia community requests that the Wikimedia Foundation stop accepting cryptocurrency donations. So Wikipedia uh, and the Wikimedia Foundation basically is sort of, I guess they're, I don't know, I guess they're governing body or whatever the hell they want to call it. Um, Wikipedia is going to stop accepting cryptocurrency donations. Um, so honestly, somebody fork Wikipedia and just start the whole damn son of a bitch again. (laughs) Just, just saying this is ridiculous, honestly. Now moving on, I got a read here from T Dudenhofer. 
who said, and that's at underscore T Dudenhofer, H-O-E-F-F-E-R. Maybe that's pronounced Hofer, not sure. Looks German to me. Quote, connecting with the people building out this new monetary network doesn't happen every day. That's a quote from this piece that we're going to be reading from T Dudenhofer, who uh, has apparently a, a website called Watchdog Capital. So let's see what he has to say here. <clears throat> In the season finale of the television show, The Office, Andrew Bernard remarks, quote, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. I have a feeling I'm in the good old days right now and I'm cherishing every minute. Leaving Bitcoin Miami 2020, sorry, 2022 was simultaneously sad and satisfying. Sad that the conference was coming to an end knowing it would be another 365 days or more until the next large scale Bitcoin party. It's not every day that you can stroll with Jack Mallers for four or five minutes talking about great parties at Mizzou while on camera with Vice. By the way, Jack, if that dip doesn't make the cut, I'd love it as a personal keepsake. Hit me up. The satisfying part is like the saying, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. I remember these celebrations revolving around Bitcoin for my entire life. This is a revolution but only a few thousand or million people know about it. Connecting with the people building out this new monetary network doesn't happen every day either. It's great to share your passions with people that are wearing the same wide-eyed smile as you. Too many, it's just another conference. Bitcoin or basketball or boats, who cares? But to Bitcoiners, to the people that really understand what's happening money and the implications Bitcoin will have. It's so much more than a conference. It's surreal. Miami feels like a tech conference that would have taken place in the 1990s where Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, and Mark Andreessen are speaking on panels. Only the panel speakers are celebrities in the Bitcoin space. I was more excited to shake Preston Pish's hand in Miami than I was to high-five Anthony Davis in a Whataburger a couple of years ago. I believe we are in an especially rare moment in Bitcoin's time for these get-togethers. Bitcoin's fiat price is hovering in the low 40,000s. Early adopters have certainly amassed a fortune to many people's standards, but that fortune isn't massive enough to prevent them from walking around freely among thousands and thousands of strangers quite yet. But that won't always be the case. Once Bitcoin really starts to take off past 100,000 and 200,000 per coin, I think many of these prominent speakers will need to take more serious security measures, which ultimately means only being at the conference due or to do their panel and then leaving or just not showing up altogether. Gone will be the days of eating lunch with them and running up to shake their hands. I spoke with Jeff Booth about my hypothesis while he was relaxing with his lunch. That's the cool thing about these conferences. You can bother people like Jeff and he won't shoo you away. Ah, shoegate. He told me that these uh, celebrations progress and Bitcoin's price continues to appreciate less and less focus will be on the tech itself. Most people will understand and use the tech, which requires less focus from the panel speakers. But as the tech begins to become boring due to being further engaged in everyday life, the product lines are going to explode in popularity and excitement. The panels will be focused on new product capabilities and new companies building, which will keep these conferences chugging along, albeit with new faces as the stars. 
To me, a fair comparison of the Bitcoin conferences is like going to a courthouse in the 1770s in Philadelphia while Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and dozens of others were deciding how to shape the Declaration of Independence. Because Satoshi's white paper could have the same sort of worldwide ramifications as the document our founding fathers signed more than 250 years ago. Central banks across the world have stolen the time and the effort of millions of people and have been doing so for decades. This is done through monetary debasement. When the money is debased and loses its value, so does your time and effort that went into acquiring that money. Central bankers' intentions might be good and debasement may just be an unfortunate side effect, but this is how it is in the world today, good intentioned or not. It's time that that ends. It's time for the power of money to be taken out of the hands of the few and returned to the many. It's time that regular people from Missouri to Mongolia have their time and effort respected again. It's time to have money that works properly. Money works properly when it can be transferred across, across both time and space. Bitcoin far exceeds the dollar's ability to transfer value across time and exceeds gold's and other past money's ability to transfer value across space. Bitcoin is money, but 95% of the world doesn't know it yet. The attendees in Miami and I are in on one of the most profound secrets in all of human history. I am counting down the days to celebrate with them again. I, this, these are actually really good words from uh, out of Watchdog Capital and T. Dudenhofer. Um, he's right. We probably are in the good old days. And I was kind of wondering along these lines if I was in the good old, good old days back in 2017 when shit was hitting the fan left and right. We had the block size wars had so many ICOs popping up and just stealing people's money. And it was just, it was just this terrible onslaught of, of really bad news. And all through it, the Bitcoiners just, they held together like stones like, you know, Plymouth Rock. It was one of the most amazing displays of tenacity that I've ever seen. And I was really happy to be a part of it. I was really glad that I was there to witness it. I didn't have the podcast at that time. I didn't know any of the people that I know now. I haven't, you know, I never, you know, got to talk to, I don't know, in, any of the people. I was just, essentially, I was just kind of lurking and spouting shit. So, you know, it was one of those things where all, all I was doing was really ingesting what was going on, trying to figure out my way. And I look back at 2017, you know, 2016, 20, last half of 2016, all the way through 2017 and into 2018 as sort of a burn in period, if you know what I mean. And I think we're here again. I think the people that came in in 20, uh, on the backside of 2017, 2018, I think they're getting burned in right now. You know, it's, it's what Bitcoin's price is going to do. I don't know. And I'm getting to the point now where I, I, I don't think that it's healthy for us to actually look at, at Bitcoin in terms of fiat price because the fiat prices or fiat itself in general is so volatile right now that it's not, I don't think it's a very good comparison at all. And yet all we do is talk about price and when did you get in? What, how much did it cost for your first Bitcoin? I don't know. Did you buy one Bitcoin? Did you buy half a Bitcoin? Do you have Bitcoin? Well, then that's really all that you, honestly, that's all you need. And the people that are in this particular space.
That's all you need. So think about where you are and think about what you're doing. Think about how you're interacting with all these people. Are you interacting with them? Are you able to figure out what they're saying? You know, are they, you know, have you engaged with them at all? Are you going to any of the conferences? I like going to the smaller ones myself. Uh, by the way, uh, Modern Team Man's uh, Beef Initiative Conference is going on in Kerrville uh, this weekend. So, uh, and tickets are like 200 bucks. So you might want to, you know, if you're in the hill country or, or in Texas or somewhere that's within decent driving range, you might want to consider going because these smaller conferences, I really truly believe that these smaller conferences are the ones that are going to get you a lot more, I don't know, a lot more action, a lot more personal feeling about what's going on here than going to gigantic, ginormous, you know, badass, you know, $5,000 whale ticket cost uh, conferences. Now, moving on, let's get into some of the news. Crypto Twitter reacts as Russian government <clears throat> reviews finalized crypto bill. Arjit Sarkar writing for Cointelegraph. The Ministry of Finance of Russia finalized a draft bill named On Digital Currency and has sent it to the Russian government for approval to be passed as law. The draft of the federal law clarifies regulations regarding or related to the trading and mining of cryptocurrencies. On April the 8th, Russia's finance ministry announced the amendment and finalization of an impending crypto bill which provides regulatory clarity related to the circulation, issuance, trading, mining, and other activities within the crypto market. While unconfirmed reports of Russia legalizing cryptocurrencies surfaced early April the 16th, the thriving crypto community on Twitter welcomed the announcement with arms wide open. And here we have Anthony Pompliano's tweet says, breaking the Russian government and central bank have just reached an agreement on cryptocurrencies. According to the Russians, Kamarasant. both organizations will treat Bitcoin and crypto assets as currency. And that was on February the 8th, 2022 is when he actually said that one. Uh, Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao was also one of the first to acknowledge the move, given the numerous sanctions currently levied against the nation. And he said Russia will legalize crypto for payments. Surprise, surprise. As the dust settled, crypto Twitter soon realized that they've been celebrating just a little too early. And soon CZ and others deleted the tweets cheering for crypto's legal status in Russia. The buzz around Russia legalizing crypto was sparked by a report from local Russian daily newspaper Kamarasant, who reportedly got their hands on the authentic final version of the draft law. And according to the local media, the bill recommended accepting digital currency as a means of payment that is not the monetary unit of the Russian Federation, which is yet to be passed as law by the Russian government. While the Ministry of Finance finalized and shared the draft bill with the Russian government, an official announcement regarding its approval as the law is still awaited with no known timeline. Commerçant's report also highlighted that the bill recommends building a regulatory framework for crypto-related activities while sharing the groundwork for registered operators. On April the 14th, Sergei Katrin President of Russia's Chamber of Commerce and Industry recommended collaborating with African countries for conducting cross-border settlements in crypto and central bank digital currencies. 
In the announcement related to the finalized bill, the ministry disclosed to have clarified crypto regulations while considering the viewpoint of all other departments of the Russian government. In an ongoing to counter, sorry, in an ongoing to counter the international sanctions, that's a weird sentence, and the resultant inflation, President of the Russian Gas Society, Pavel Zavalny, hinted at the possibility of accepting Bitcoin as payment for exporting oil and gas. As Cointelegraph reported, Zavalny recommended taking payments in Russian rubles, Chinese yuan, Turkish lira and, lira, and even Bitcoin from friendly countries. However, unfriendly countries could pay for their oil in rubles or gold. All right, so essentially, we kind of still don't know what the hell's going on, but it does look like the draft bill does mention that this, these could be le basically legal currencies inside the Russian Federation. However, that bill needs to actually be passed into law before we see anything. And it looks like it's on its way to uh, getting into uh, a situation where it can be passed. Now, I want to go over this one paragraph here. On April the 14th, Sergei Katrin, president of Russia's Chamber of Commerce and Industry, recommended collaborating with African countries for conducting cross-border settlements in crypto and central bank digital currencies. I've said it before on several occasions. If you're not keeping your eye on Africa, then you're not keeping your eye on the ball. And the second most important part of this is, of course, Central America and Latin America or uh, Central America and South America. But right now, you've got China. Their eyes are on Africa hardcore. And now you've got Russia who's talking about cross or collaborative cross-border payments in cryptocurrency with African countries. The United States has had AFRICOM for a long time. That's the African command of the United States military. They call it AFRICOM. We've been there for, you know, I don't know how long we've been there. I'm just going to say at least a couple of decades. So all eyes are on Africa. And it ain't because we, you know, in any of these countries, Russia, China, United States, we don't have the African people's best interest in mind. <laughs> what we want to do is mine the entire continent for rare earth minerals and whatnot like that. But still, with Russia looking at Africa in the context of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, you can bet that I am not wrong, that if you are not watching Africa, then you are not keeping your eyes on the ball. Continuing on, Bitcoin Magazine partners with NBA stars for Ukrainian relief. Sean Amick for Bitcoin Magazine. Two Ukrainian NBA stars have partnered with Bitcoin Magazine to help support Ukraine humanitarian relief efforts by enabling anyone to donate Bitcoin simply by scanning a QR code on the front of the player's shoes. That's right, on their tennis shoes. There's no way I can pronounce this dude's name, so I'm just going to call him Sfee of the Toronto Raptors and Alex Lynn from the Sacramento Kings collaborated with the Ukrainian branch of Bitcoin Magazine to support this Bitcoin-based fundraising campaign. Uh, Svee will debut a customized pair of sneakers from Nike emblazoned with the world's first QR code, a Bitcoin wallet ad address in QR code format in round one of the NBA playoffs tonight. And although the King's season is finished, Lynn will also be showing his support for the cause by posting about it on social media. Quote, 
the world is united in support of people whose lives have been torn apart by the invasion of Ukraine. And we're, we've determined, uh, we're, we're determined to do our bit by making it easy for anyone to donate to humanitarian relief efforts, said Mike Germano, publisher of Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, the conflict in Ukraine is the first truly modern war. Well, I don't know. I don't agree with that. Where information, fake news, and censorship are every bit as important as kinetic weapons. Quote, Bitcoin is an incredible, incredibly powerful weapon against financial censorship, whether it's an authoritarian regime shutting down NGO bank accounts or Trudeau doing the same to supporters of the truckers contest, Germanos added. Those looking to donate would simply need to scan the shoes of one of the players mentioned above. People looking to support the initiative can also visit uh, b.tc forward slash Ukraine to donate in Bitcoin or a range of other major cryptocurrencies. Oh, for God's sakes. Quote, what's happening in our homeland is a tragedy, but we are heartened by the incredible support and generosity shown by people across the world, said Svi and Lynn in a joint statement for the release. Quote, we're Bitcoiners ourselves. So we know Bitcoin is the most effective way of sending money instantly to those that need it quickly and with minimal cost and in a censorship resistant way. Every Satoshi will go to help support displaced families as well as providing humanitarian aid and relief for refugees inside and outside of Ukraine, they added. Sfi will also be showcasing his shoe R code sneakers at the Raptors' first playoff game versus Philadelphia 76ers at Wells Fargo Center, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, today at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, this was, uh, let's see, when was the date of this? Yeah, this was April the 16th, so the game's already over. Um, <clears throat> all proceeds will be donated to Hope for Ukraine, part of the Lindy a hand foundation the charity that is playing a leading role in providing humanitarian assistance to refugees and others affected by the war in ukraine so shoe r codes i you know that's not i don't i don't think that that's as interesting as as we might might believe because honestly you just have to stop and stand there for people to take a picture of your damn shoe it's not like you, you know, it, what would be fascinating if somehow or another you were able to click the, uh, the shoe R code while the sons of bitches were running a full, full press down the court. That, that would be interesting, but I don't think that, uh, technology exists right now. Uh, let's see here. Iran to stiffen penalties for illegal use of subsidized energy and crypto mining. David Atlee has it for Cointelegraph. The Iranian government will increase penalties for the use of subsidized energy in crypto mining. The move marks another step in the tightening of mining regulation in the country that had faced energy shortages in recent years. On April the 16th, the Tehran Times reported, citing the country's power generation distribution and transmission company, that the government plans to drastically increase the fine rate for mining operators who use subsidized electricity. The company's representative, Mohammed Kahadi Bolani, specified, quote, any use of subsidized electricity intended for households, industrial, agricultural, and commercial subscribers for cryptocurrency mining is prohibited, end quote. According to Bolani, or however you pronounce his name, the fines for the use of subsidized energy in mining will rise by a minimum of three and a maximum of five X. A repeated violation might lead to revocation of a business's license and even imprisonment by the offender. 
Cryptocurrency mining operations in Iran are legal and subject to a licensing process and have been since 2019. As of January 2020, the Ministry of Industry, Mining and Trade issued over 1,000 mining licenses. Due to some major challenges to the nationals, national energy grid, such as drought and reduced rainfall, in May of 2021, Iran's President Hassan Rouhani announced a temporary moratorium on crypto mining. This cycle repeated itself when the moratorium had been lifted in September of 2021, only to be reinstated in December. As the Iranian Energy Ministry spokesperson Mustafa Rajabi Mashadi stated in May 2021, announcing fines for the use of subsidized energy, unauthorized mining of cryptocurrency creates problems in supplying electricity due to the damage to the local power grid and transformers. So Iran doesn't seem to really know what they stepped into is I think, I think is what, what has happened here. They like the idea. They loved the idea. It's gonna get around all this kind of shit. And yet they did, I think they just didn't realize uh, the appetite for electricity and how much electricity their power, their local power grids were actually capable of delivering. So until they get that shit sorted out, Iran is just going to be a continual shit show for Bitcoin mining. I highly recommend that nobody goes to Iran to start mining simply because it's legal. Okay, here we go. Ethereum's privacy tool, Tornado Cash, says it uses chain analysis to block sanctioned wallets. Jeff Benson, Decrypt.co. A little privacy, please. Tornado Cash, a coin mixing tool for the Ethereum blockchain, said today that it uses a tool from blockchain tracking firm Chain Analysis to prevent addresses sanctioned by the U.S. government from using the privacy app. Quote, maintaining financial privacy is essential to preserving our freedom. However, it should not come at the cost of non-compliance, the firm wrote. Tornado Cash works by breaking the on-chain link between source and destination addresses. Deposits go into a smart contract where they are mixed around with other deposits and then can be withdrawn by a new address. In short, it's just more private. Though the announcement is from today, the policy may not be new. Coindesk reported back in January, before the Russian invasion of Ukraine sent sanctions into high gear, that Tornado Cash was complying with the Office of Foreign Asset Controls, which has a blacklist of crypto wallets from suspected terrorists, criminals, and individuals linked to certain authoritarian governments. To understand how the whole process works, imagine a club that you want to get into. Let's call it Tornado. To comply with a government mandate prohibiting anyone underage from accessing clubs, it puts a bouncer at the door and searches IDs, blocking anyone under 21 from entering. What it doesn't do is change anything about the club itself. The club in blockchain parlance is immutable. The chain analysis oracle in this case is the bouncer. It's a smart contract that works on Ethereum and several other networks, including BNB Smart Chain, Avalanche and Sidechain, and Layer 2 networks such as Polygon and Optimism. It essentially is a piece of code that scans a cryptocurrency address and determines if it's subject of sanctions from the U.S. or other governments. And if so, the wallet is blocked from entering. The Chain Analysis API, which pulls straight from government notices, saves Tornado Cash and other decentralized apps the hassle of trying to maintain compliance on their own. 
As long as the, e, the ETH ad- address is on the OFAC sanctions list, any protocol using that service won't process their transactions. But just like an 18-year-old can buy a fake ID, sanctioned users can make another wallet. Alternatively, they can go to a club or service that doesn't use Chainalysis API to process transactions from non-sanctioned addresses. At first blush, this is something of an about face for Tornado Cash. The mixer contributed to the moral panic in March over whether cryptocurrencies and in particular decentralized protocols designed to want to run without an intermediary were helping Russia avert sanctions. Bloomberg quoted the firm as saying that enforcing sanctions against it and other decentralized protocol was technically impossible. The site quoted co-founder Roman Semenov saying developers didn't have more access to the protocol than other users. There's not much we can do. Semenov, however, claimed that the subject of sanctions had not come up during the interview. Tornado Cash declined to speak to Decrypt for this article, saying in response to an inquiry that it does not answer to journalists and writers since the Bloomberg incident. Okay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Somebody tell me what the difference between Ethereum and anything riding alongside or on top of Ethereum is any different than the legacy financial system that we already have. All they're doing is replicating what we already have. They're blocking people from using a system. They're going, if they can ever figure out how to get this shit to proof of stake, then the only people that will be able to quote unquote validate your transaction, even if you are on a quote unquote whitelist, are going to be people that have a shit ton more Ethereum than you do. And guess what? 70 million Ethereum were pre-mined before the public ever got a chance to buy any. All of the people that are going to be in control of Ethereum already had planned on being in control of Ethereum and they pre-mined 70 million Ethereum so that they could do so. There is no chance in hell that you will ever be a validator if you bought Ethereum after the pre-mine. That's just the way it is. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities, energy futures. We have West Texas Intermediate up 0.67%. But it's at $107.67. Brent North Sea is up one full point to $112.82. Natural gas, holy shit. 5.89% to the upside, coming in at $7.73 per thousand cubic feet. And hold on, let me just, I just want to, I just want to see something here for a second. It looks to me, um, that this is the fourth all-time high, maybe the fifth all-time high in natural gas history. Back in 2000, we had $9.77. In uh, 2005, we hit, good Lord, it closed it. Four, or no, it, it had a high of $14.60. And in 2008, natural gas struck a chord at $13.44. So it is halfway under, but in the last, let's see. So from 2009 to today, we've had roughly $3.83 
as a cost of a thousand cubic feet per uh, per or for per thousand cubic feet, three dollars and eighty three cents, somewhere around there. And all of a sudden, we've spiked back up to seven dollars and seventy five cents. Okay, so be you know be prepared. That's just the and that's just the energy cost. Okay, natural gas is used to make fertilizers, which have also hit an all time high as of this morning, from what I understand from the news. I I don't want to panic anybody, but if you got some extra cash laying around, it may not be the worst idea to buy not only Bitcoin, but some food. You know, I mean, like stuff that will store. I, I'm like I said, I don't think there's a reason to panic, but I also don't think that there's that we have some kind of reason to lay around and not do shit about potentialities. We have a potential catastrophe on our hands. Whether it will resolve itself into said catastrophe is anybody's guess, but I, you know, I'm just saying, look, if you got extra cash around <clears throat> and you're depending right now on getting food by going to a grocery store on a, I don't know, daily, you know, weekly basis or something like that, you might want to start figuring out what, what is it that you, your family eats a lot of, okay? that can store at room temperature. Let's, let's start there. We don't need to worry about meat and freezers and shit. That, that's another discussion. But right now, something that you don't have to think too hard about that you can wrap your mind around with all this shit is to do the following. Get a notepad. Get with your significant other, you know, whatever. Find out and list out what, what is it that you eat all the time? And at this point, I, I don't care if you're a pasta head and you're eating a lot of wheat or whatever. I don't care where you get your calories and your, your nutrition from. I'm not going to make you feel bad because of that. Write it down. When you go to the grocery store, whatever it is that's on that list, buy two times as much or three times as much and put the 2X and 3X portion of that away, somewhere dry. Somewhere not freezing, somewhere not boiling hot, okay? And do that every single time that you go to the grocery store. People have this weird tendency to go, oh my God, it's going to be a food crisis. And then they go and buy a bunch of food, like, you know, a hundred cans of Spam that nobody likes to actually eat, except very few people. Clearly some people like to eat it, otherwise Spam wouldn't be on the shelves. But you get what I'm saying. Don't buy shit that you don't eat. So how do you do that? You figure out what it is that you do eat. How do you do that? You write a list. Take that list to the grocery store, buy extra of whatever is on that list, and you'll be assured that you're actually buying the shit, extra stuff of what you actually eat instead of thinking that you're going to be, you know, all of a sudden bean master on this 100-pound bag of, you know, sack of beans that you bought. That's usually a bad idea. Just saying. Now, getting back to futures and actually they're not futures anymore. Live trading is now here. Gasoline is up three quarters of a point to $3.40. So all that strategic oil reserve release basically did nothing except deplete strategic oil reserves for something that is was to lower prices. That's not a strategic play. A strategic play is you can't pump oil when you're in the middle of a war and you've got to charge the tanks with fuel. That's a strategic play. Uh, lowering, do, using it to lower prices, 
That's midterm election play. Gold up almost a full point to $1,994.50. Silver up two and a half points. Platinum up 2.8. Copper is up two and a quarter. And palladium is up 2.91%. Agricultural uh, futures are all up uh, 2.69% to the upside for wheat. We have soybeans are up 1.86. Corn is up two and a quarter. Sugar is up scant. Coffee is up 0.13. Cotton, 1.73% to the upside. Rough rice, 2.1% to the upside. And nobody wants chocolate, apparently, because it's down two and a half points. Uh, Dow, up 0.17. S&P, up a quarter. NASDAQ, up over a half. S&P mini is down 0.11%. Real money having struggles today, Uh, $39,455.50. 296,000BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours, so we had a very low volume trading weekend. Uh, 12,335BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.32 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.011 BTC or 424 bucks. Block times are slightly low, nine minutes, 52 seconds, 0.045 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 6.69 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And with an 8.34% increase in hash rate, we are up to 219.5 exahashes per second. Shitcoin indicator is Doge, 13.6 United States pennies. That's all we got to say about that. 6,183 transactions are waiting on five blocks to clear. We have a market capitalization of $748.6 billion, which is well below 6% of gold's entire market cap, 5.72% in fact. And we can only purchase 19.9 ounces of shiny metal rock with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,015,004.68. 3,655.17 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $144.2 million in capacity. Uh, Total nodes is 16,976. So ladies and gentlemen, we've lost quite a bit of nodes over the weekend. And we've also lost quite a bit of payment channels. We've only got 82,269 and 73.2% of all of it is being run over the 11,834 associated tour nodes that we can see. And that's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Let's check in on stimulus check investing. Two years later, stimulus check investment proves the value of Bitcoin mining. Zach Vole from Bitcoin Magazine has more. The two-year anniversary of the first of three coronavirus economic impact payments, aka, aka stimmy checks, deposited in U.S. taxpayers' banks, bank accounts came and went on April the 11th and headlines about monetary inflation, possible economic recession, and generally grim financial tailwinds are everywhere. The ethos of Bitcoin stands diametrically opposed to the perceived reckless spending and money printing that characterized the past two years, specifically with Bitcoin miners tasked with issuing new units of Bitcoin at predetermined, unmalleable intervals. So, 
at this point. Perhaps it's appropriate to look back on the returns that individuals who received both, or rather, who received stimulus checks would have enjoyed if they invested their dollars into Bitcoin mining and the alternative financial world that it supports. Before parsing mining-specific data, it's helpful to remember how quickly the narrative that supported investing stimulus money in Bitcoin exploded across all social media channels before the checks were first signed or mailed. So large was the support for this meme that multiple polls were later conducted to quantify exactly how many Americans actually exchanged their free fiat money for Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. Coinbase, the largest U.S.-based Bitcoin exchange by volume, fueled the fresh Bitcoin by sharing data that showed a surge in stimulus check size Bitcoin buy orders on its platform as checks were being mailed. Bitcoin's capped and predictable supply acted as the perfect foil for the inflationary, unpredictable monetary policy being created in real time as a response to the coronavirus situation. The same month that the first checks were mailed, a Twitter account was created that tracked the dollar value of the first stimulus check, which was $1,200, if it was invested entirely into Bitcoin. The account still tweets updates today. But beyond Bitcoin itself, what returns would stimulus check recipients have received if they spent their free money on mining stocks? Dumping the stimulus dollars sent by the U.S. Treasury into Bitcoin mining stocks would have returned a fairly handsome profit over the past two years. Through 2020 and 2021, Americans received three rounds of stimulus checks in April 20th, December 2020, and March 2021 that totaled $3,200. The biggest question is, of course, what mining stocks to buy. In the table below, Peak and current values of what could be called stimulus check portfolio are compared based on investments in one of a few leading public Bitcoin mining companies like Bitfarms, Canaan, Hive, HUD8, Marathon, or Riot. At their peak, any of these investments was worth over $15,000 with a couple in or near six digits. But the stimulus portfolio's current values are down along with Bitcoin itself. So what do we have here? We got Bitcoin mining stimmy checks portfolio value, uh, Bitfarms current value, 16,366 bucks. Uh, the position size is 4,294 bucks. Canaan, you know, this is weird. I, I, Canaan, I guess you got, you'd be sitting at $2,986 today if you invested it all. And it's like its peak value, however, was at $15,767. I mean, honestly, this shit is not bad. These are not terrible returns. My problem is, is that they're stocks. You don't own the mining equipment. You don't own actual Bitcoin. So no matter what these numbers, and like Marathon, apparently 77,500 would have been the return. And the peak value is at $216,000. I mean, this is, I mean, some of these returns are insane, but the reason that they're insane is because they're stocks and they're trading along with the stock market and everybody was buying stocks. It wasn't just mining stocks. They were buying the whole board. And when that happens, the whole market goes up. So just, I would have rather bought Bitcoin is, is all I'm saying. Uh, perhaps, Some stimulus check investors would have invested in a basket of mining stocks instead of just one. 
But for simplicity's sake, this article only considers investment in one of the few leading stocks. The line chart below visualizes the time series data for the issuance of each of three checks and the fluctuations in value for each of the companies included in the table above from April 2020 to the time of this writing. Let's see what this thing says. Holy shit, man. Now this, yeah, this, uh, my God. This graph, it shows uh, Marathon, Riot, Hive, Bitfarms, HUD8, and Canaan. And Marathon, oh my God, dude, it is so far and above, above everything else. It's not even funny. But is what is clear in all of these charts, in, in, in this chart between all of the mining companies is that every single time that a stimulus check was released, the stock price of all of these companies rose. Marathon was just disproportionately higher than everything else. Quote, even though most of these investments are sitting below their highs, their stimulus check funded investors sat on triple and quadruple digit percentage returns at different periods over the past two years. And to date, these investors are still heavily in the black on these orange coin stocks. Overall, not bad. Instead of just buying Bitcoin, some investors prefer to own mining stocks to get even more exposure to the Bitcoin market and potentially outperform Bitcoin itself. Mining stocks have a strong positive correlation to Bitcoin's price movement, which means when Bitcoin and other top cryptocurrencies are in bullish trends, it's not surprising to see market tailwinds boost price for shares of public mining companies. And when Bitcoin drops, Clearly, mining stocks fall too. But mining stocks are generally considered as a leverage play on Bitcoin. So when Bitcoin goes up or down, mining share price follows the same direction, but with larger moves of their own. So if a particular Bitcoin investor is exuberantly bullish, buying mining stocks with the hopes of outperforming Bitcoin itself is a reasonable strategy. Besides using mining stocks to speculate on Bitcoin, these investments also offer easy exposure to the mining industry Mining is a very capital intensive activity and much of the industry's processes and frameworks have yet to fully mature and be standardized. Bitcoin bulls who want exposure to this industry without the headaches of sourcing machines, building a mining site, or maintaining the operation often opt to simply buy shares of mining companies. Similarly, mining stocks also offer strongly principled Bitcoin investors an opportunity to diversify their portfolios and potentially outperform their primary investment, BTC, without allocating capital to alternative cryptocurrencies. Without derailing this article with the politics of altcoins, the primary goal of most active Bitcoin investors is to find a way to outperform the price of BTC. Most altcoins characteristically do outperform Bitcoin in dollar-denominated returns, but many Bitcoin holders reject altcoin investments on principle, if nothing else. Mining stocks are Bitcoin-centric investments that can outperform Bitcoin in bullish market cycles without compromising the ideals of some Bitcoin holders. In short, where the price of Bitcoin will go next isn't clear, but whatever direction it takes, mining stocks will almost certainly follow. For many Americans, the stimulus funds were spent on things arguably much more important than Bitcoin mining stocks, like rent, utility bills, groceries, emergency savings, but 
for other recipients who weren't significantly affected by the economic turmoil following coronavirus response measures, the data visualized in this article shows the free money was an opportunity to invest in essential infrastructure supporting the Bitcoin network and the short-term returns on these investments were not disappointing. All right, so I still believe that you should probably just only buy Bitcoin because God only knows what happens with all these mining stocks. And once you start buying mining stocks, it's not like buying a hundred stock in a hundred year old or a 50 year old or even a 25 year old company, right? Those like their little bumps in the road, a lot of those have been smoothed out. And, and right now they're, you know, many of them are look like a well-oiled machine as far as they operate on the stock market. But mining is a new thing, right? It's a new set of companies. The, the, the road hasn't been smoothed out yet. There's going to be massive bumps and potholes and all kinds of bullshit that you're going to have to contend with, which means what? Which means you actually have to stay awake and pay fucking attention. And the, the problem with that is, is that what you want to do with your life? Be married to your phone screen or a computer screen so that you're constantly looking at news and see how it's going to affect your position in marathon mining? I don't want to do that. This is one of the reasons why Bitcoin, just saying. Now, Bitcoin institutional buying could be big narrative again as 30,000 BTC leaves Coinbase. William Suberg is writing this one. This was on April the 15th, by the way. So a couple of days ago, Thursday, I believe. Bitcoin may be heading under 40,000, but fresh data shows that demand from major investors is anything but decreasing. For Ki Yong Zhu, CEO of on-chain analytics platform CryptoQuant, institutional BTC buying might be the big narrative in the crypto space once more. Key highlighted figures from Coinbase Pro, uh, uh, offshoot of United States crypto exchange Coinbase, that confirmed that large tranches of Bitcoin continue to leave its books. Those tranches totaled 30,000 BTC in a single day last week. And the event is not an isolated one with March seeing similar behavior. Uh, institutional buyers or institutional buys might be the big narrative again because of the executive order did not create any hurdle as quoted. Last month's executive order from United States President Joe Biden designed to investigate various aspects of the cryptocurrency ecosystem has seemingly not deterred large volume investors looking for exposure. The trend is apparent across exchanges as Cointelegraph reported this week, and April is currently attempting to match March in terms of overall outflows. The reduction in supply contrasts with a troubling macro picture that continues to pressure risk assets, including cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin's correlation to equities themselves at the mercy of, mercy of central bank policy needs to break in order for conditions to approve, but analysts say that the process will be anything but smooth when it happens. Quote, correlation breaks eventually for multiple reasons, commentator Dylan LeClaire explained earlier this week. Quote, my guess, eventually credit system breaks and volatility explodes. BTC follows, but more because of derivative traders and not spot selling. BTC bears conditioned to fade, every rally get wrecked as spot supply continues to constrain, end quote. Meanwhile, 
The major buyer story of the year, that of blockchain protocol Terra, continues. The Luna Foundation Guard, or LFG, let's fucking go, the nonprofit organization attached to Terra has added around 2,633 BTC to its reserves over the past 48 hours. According to data from monitoring resource BitInfo charts, its wallet is now the 18th largest Bitcoin wallet containing more Bitcoin than Tesla's corporate treasury allocation. Jeez. I just find it rather amazing that this Terra Foundation or whatever, or LFG, uh, came out of freaking nowhere and bought more Bitcoin than Tesla did. I, I just find that fascinating, honestly. Uh, I'm not happy about it, but then again, I'm not depressed about it either. It's just, if I try to look at it with no blinders on, it's kind of fascinating. Anyway, continuing, Cointelegraph, Ornella Hernandez has this one. Making Bitcoin legal tender in Mexico will be an uphill battle, says Ricardo Salinas. During the Bitcoin 2022 conference in Miami, Florida, Cointelegraph caught up with Ricardo Salinas. As an early investor in Bitcoin, uh, since its $200 days, Salinas has experienced firsthand the highs and lows of the market and learned a thing or two along the way. Salinas started off the day as a panelist on the main stage of the Miami Beach Convention Center among fellow billionaires Orlando Bravo, Marcelo Clare, and Dan Tapiro. In a discussion titled Bitcoin Billionaire Capital Allocators, Salinas disclosed that 60% of his portfolio is in Bitcoin, while the other 40% is a mix of oil and gas. Oil and gas and Bitcoin. He's 60-40, 60% Bitcoin, 40% oil and gas the the in the way that bitcoin is interfacing with energy is most summed, summed up in ricardo salinas's portfolio 60% bitcoin 40% oil and gas oil and gas is not going anywhere anytime soon and for those of you who wish it did i'm sorry to disappoint you but the next time you actually have to go to the emergency room look at how much plastic is required to save your freaking life oil and gas is not going anywhere anytime soon that same day, on April the 7th, fellow conference attendee Mexican Senator Indra Kempis announced that she proposed legislation to make Bitcoin legal tender in Mexico. Mexico would follow El Salvador, Rotan, Honduras, Madeira, and Portugal if it does go through with the legislation. When asked what he thought about it, Salinas said it's going to be an uphill battle to make this happen because his country, unfortunately, has a mindset that is too attached to its control over fiat or what he calls fiat fraud. As the founder of the Mexican bank, Banco Azteca, Salinas admitted that he's part of the problematic system and revealed that he'd love for his bank to have access to Bitcoin payments, deposits, and lending. In the meantime, however, as the owner of the Electra Group, Super, Electra Group supermarket chain, he is currently working on enabling the retailers to accept Bitcoin payments for all items. While sitting with Cointelegraph, he said that Bitcoiners remain a small percentage of the total population and that there is still a long way to go before there is universal adoption. He also reminded viewers that no matter an investor's age, the most important quality any investor can have is curiosity and the mental openness to continually learn. So there you go. Again, it should not be lost on everybody here that Ricardo Salinas's portfolio is 60% Bitcoin, 40% oil and gas. 
Although I'm still wondering how he has this position in a supermarket group without eating into either one of those sides. But let's move on. Investment bank stifles downgrade. Oh, sorry. Investment bank stifle downgrades Twitter to sell amid full-blown Elon circus. Stacey Elliott, Decrypt.co. Twitter is headed for a full-blown Elon circus. Investment bank stifle wrote in a new report as it downgraded the social media company's shares to sell. Ah, The bank issued its updated guidance this morning following news that Tesla CEO Elon Musk had filed paperwork with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission to take Twitter private in a $43 billion bid. Quote, we're downgrading Twitter to sell following Elon Musk's offer, Stifle wrote in its report. Quote, we believe this sets a near-term ceiling on shares, detaches the company from its fundamentals, and offers significant downside risk if Mr. Musk decides to abandon his offer or sell down his own stake, end quote. The bank had previously recommended that investors hold their Twitter shares. It also lowered its revenue estimate slightly, predicting Twitter would see $5.87 billion in 2022 $6.98 billion in 2023, which is down from $5.98 billion and $7.08 billion, respectively. Twitter shares started the day up 11% in pre-market trading on Thursday morning, but by the afternoon were trading just under their previous day close at $45.70. The Tesla CEO has a long history of drawing the SEC's ire for his market-moving tweets, including his Favorite crypto, Dogecoin. Musk's stake in Twitter was already garnering some negative attention, (laughs) to say the least, before he announced his bid to buy it in an all-cash deal. Just last week, CNBC pointed out that Musk missed the deadline to disclose his position in the company, a requirement for anyone who owns more than 5% of a company's common shares by 11 days. When Musk did reveal his 9.1% stake in the company on April the 4th, the share price closed, or sorry, rose 27%. That delayed disclosure resulted in Twitter investor Mark Rosella filing a class action lawsuit against Musk. The lawsuit alleges that by delaying the disclosure, Musk made it possible to acquire shares at a lower price. It's also worth noting that in 2018, the SEC charged Musk with securities fraud after he claimed to have securities funding to take Tesla private at $420 per share, sending Tesla's price to rise 7% that led to significant market disruption. All right, so here's my theory. Musk loves the fact that Stifle has downgraded Twitter. Stifle, in fact, is playing right into Musk's hands Because at this point, there's going to be a whole lot of liquidity of shares of Twitter that Musk is going to be able to buy up. However, there is a poison pill that has been injected, and that apparently is the following. If you're a Twitter shareholder and Elon Musk buys above a certain amount of percentage of the company, then the other shareholders will have the right and the opportunity to purchase newly minted Twitter shares. What does that mean? They're going to dilute Elon out of the picture, or at least they're going to try. What they don't, what I don't think they realize is that Elon's got a shit ton of money and he's batshit crazy. This is not a good combination for companies like Twitter, but also, 
who really does get diluted? Is it the dude that holds 10% of the stock and is trying to buy over 15%? No. It's the poor schmoes that represent the other 85% of the fucking company who are getting their own shares diluted, whether or not they're able to buy more. Because guess what? The majority of Twitter shareholders probably do not or do not find themselves in the capacity to purchase yet more Twitter stock to guard against the dilution of their own shares. So who is Twitter really hurting? I know that they say they're trying to hurt Elon, but that's not, is, that is not what is going to happen. If this shit comes to pass, the only people that will be tremendously hurt is the 85% of Twitter shareholders and Elon will sit there and he will eat up every single sell order. He will just buy and buy and buy and buy, and he'll probably be able to outpace the dilution. Because remember, Elon is not a sane individual. That doesn't make him bad, nor does it make him good. It doesn't make him stupid, nor does it make it br him brilliant. He's simply a madman with a metric fuck ton of money. Again, this does not look good for Twitter shareholders, no matter what Twitter says. No matter, everybody's applauding the poison pill, but they're not realizing this is just going to crush the other end of the 85% of Twitter shareholders, except for those that have enough money to match the dilution of their own Twitter stock by having liquid capital and continuously pumping money into Twitter. Honestly, the fact that they're forcing a situation where people have to continuously pump fiat into Twitter seems like an SEC violation to me, but I'm not a securities trader, nor am I a securities lawyer, so I don't know, but that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Okay, so my wife uh, just finished a Peloton class before I started uh, recording the podcast, and uh, she was taking a live class on, on Peloton. She liked some of the instructors, and this one instructor, the theme of the day for his class was, you need to value yourself. And he came up with the greatest analogy ever. If a 30-year-old virgin living in his parents' basement can buy a fucking JPEG and think of it as worth something, then you can value yourself. Normies get it. Normies get it a lot more than you think, right? I mean, it's like if you're, I've been guilty of thinking that, oh my God, NFTs are going to kill everything because normies are, that's the only thing that normies can understand. You know what? Normies don't understand it either. The NFT portion of the quote unquote crypto space is like any other part of quote the space. Right there, you've got Peloton instructors that are like laughing at this shit, understanding that there's no value in a JPEG. There isn't. I don't care what your NFT mind is telling you at this point. If you're into that sort of thing, it's a JPEG. I, it doesn't matter that somewhere on IPFS, 
there's, or on some blockchain, there's a wallet that has an address tied to this JPEG because the JPEG is when you go to view your JPEG through MetaMask, you're not actually, you're not actually holding that, that JPEG. It's on IPFS. It's a pointer. It's a freaking URL. If that URL collapses, your JPEG is no more. And you can show people a bunch of weird numbers from your MetaMask wallet all day long and tell them that it proves that you own a rock. And then they say, well, can I see a picture of the rock? And you say, well, no, the URL is down. Okay, no, that's, no, no people. Even they get, even Peloton instructors get it. Guys, the writers for South Park understand this, people. So please, don't be foolish. Stay out of NFTs, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.